Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. I'm your host, Brian C. Adams. Tune in weekly to hear from top industry leaders as we discuss relevant topics in the world of business, investing, health and wellness, geopolitics, and more. To learn more about the show, visit excelsiorgp.com slash podcast. Thank you for joining the Capital Club Podcast. Sit with me, Nick DiLoretto. Nick is a partner at Banyan Global Family Business Advisors. He advises the owners of some of the world's largest private family businesses and offices on how to navigate the challenge of generational transition. Nick, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, so very familiar with your firm. know your colleagues. I've had Josh on the show before, so you do great work. I'm always curious people that get into the family business, family office world, like what their own personal story and motivation was. So we'd love to hear your origination story of how you got into this, which sometimes can be a pretty crazy business. Absolutely. A couple of things. I think the short answer is I kind of stumbled into it. If I'm being completely honest, I didn't know this space existed before I started working here. Longer answer is I actually come from a family business on my side, as well as on my wife's side. My father has a small med tech business and is also a founder of a pretty large medical practice. And I like to say medical practices are about as close as you can get to family business without actually being one. And in addition, my wife, her father recently sold his business, which was also in the technology space as well. So I I experienced it. I didn't know that it was a thing. And I found myself in the business a little over a decade ago. I'm just thrilled to have done it. It's such an interesting place to be. Yeah. I understand the stumble onto world. Um, but it can sometimes be the most rewarding work. Indeed. So we, we talk a lot on the show about culture and value systems and instilling a sense of ownership across an organization. I'm curious how you kind of came across this owner mentality and, and strategy and how it differs from, say, being just a typical employee or a board member. Yeah, it, 
it's interesting. If you follow the history of the family business advisory field, there is a, a deeper focus on the family and on the business. If the business is running well, then the family will take care of itself. Or if the family is doing well, then the business will succeed as well. In our work over the past decade plus, one of the things that we focus on is the power of ownership, really, and the ability of owners to really own decisions, make decisions, and drive progress across the entire system, whether it's the business, whether it's the family, or whether it's the ownership realm. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's where decisions get made. And it's really fascinating, uh, a really fascinating place to be, especially for these private businesses and the owners of these private businesses that we work with, because they are very different than, say, a public company owner or otherwise. And so we have, as a firm, focused on this space and really found it a great place to be because that's where you can affect significant change um, and help these families point in the right directions or continue in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And so what is the the strategy here in terms of how yeah. you think about coaching and working and consulting with family-owned businesses? Yeah. So we talk about three levels of strategy in family business or private business. And I like to use, I'm from Michigan, so I like to use the sports analogy. Go Lions for anyone out there. We think about owner strategy as how do you keep score? How do you win? And what are the rules of the game? So at an owner level, if you're thinking about it from a sports analogy, that is it. Exactly. What's the scoreboard look like and what are the rules of the game and how do you win? Board strategy, we think about if we continue that sports analogy as in what league are you going to play in or what stadiums are you going to play in? These are sort of the big portfolio sector level questions that that a family business and a group of owners might consider. And then management strategy is how do we organize our players for success, right? Over the next one, two years, board probably three to five years, owners five to 10 to 20 years. And so if you think about owner strategy is how do we keep score and what are the rules of the game? Board, where are we going to play? And management, how do we organize to win on those fields? That's how we think about strategy. And I think what's most interesting is owner strategy is all too often implicit and not discussed. It is resident in a founder's head, but not very deeply articulated beyond that. And when you get to a situation where you have multiple owners, it becomes increasingly more important because owners in these private businesses are tied together much more differently than, say, someone who owns shares in a public company. It's much harder to leave, and the implications of your decision are much more far-reaching. Well, and that was one of the questions I wanted to get into was easy if you're a first-generation wealth creator entrepreneur to have that mentality, right? And maybe even G2, if you grew up in the business and you have some type of position there. But how do you extend that mentality and concept to, you know, non-lineals, to mm -hmm. married ins, to non-family member executives, leadership team. How do you manage to kind of push that culture through there? Yeah. You use the word culture. I would I would extend that idea maybe to not only culture, but how do you create effective owners? And that's something that if you go through the academic literature, if you look at the syllabi of top MBA programs, there's no courses on how to be an effective owner. 
right? It's fascinating. You can have people who go through an entire MBA or an entire JD program and not fully understand what it means to be an effective owner. But we believe that developing effective owners is probably one of the single most important things you can do as a senior generation because owners really drive the success of the business and they set the direction long-term as well. And so how do you do that? I think the first place you go is you begin to define what it means to be an effective owner, right? If you don't know where you're trying to get to, then you'll get there regardless because you'll get somewhere. But defining what it means to be an effective owner involves, you know, articulating what are the things that an owner needs to do, right? And from our perspective in our work with families, we've talked about this idea that there are 10 core competencies that you need to be an effective owner that guides the business, that doesn't run the business. Another way we talk about it is you need to be able to influence but not run. You need to be conversant but not fluent. I like to think about an effective owner in the context of an effective homeowner. So I know how my home is financed. I know the electrical system, the basics of it. I know the plumbing, et cetera. I know how to build things. I like to build. I like to woodwork a bit, but I don't know how to do everything. I'm not a certified plumber. I'm not a certified electrician, but I know who to call when there are issues. That's at its core. That's what an effective owner is. And effective owners possess these 10 competencies. They understand the history and legacy, right? There's this, the family side, the history side. There's a little bit more of a technical side as well. They understand corporate structures and what's the limitations and what's the benefits of different corporate structures. They understand estate planning and how you pass assets from one generation to the next. They understand governance, how decisions are made. They understand corporate governance, how it works, legally speaking. They understand owner strategy, like we talked about it, what it means and how you how do you influence the business. And then there's some finance aspects and some communications and negotiation. But what's interesting is that, as I mentioned, they need to be conversant across all of these. And many owners sometimes are, we call them spikes, are more skilled or more have more in-depth knowledge about one or more of those things. But at a minimum, everyone, any effective owner should have at least some basic understanding of those 10 competencies. And are there any consistencies or through lines that you see in terms of people who are able to check all of those 10 boxes, communication, styles, leveraging outside resources? Are there any consistencies or characteristics that you see as a throughput across people that, are, that do this well? You know, the most effective owners, I would say, are learners. They know what they don't know, and they know what they don't know, and they go out and, and try to continue to learn. Ownership is a journey, right? And it's really important to continue to build your tool set, your skill set over time. Those are the most effective owners, if you ask me, the ones that continue to learn and continue to try and refine their craft. And then how do you... I always kind of think about this in, in terms of multi-generational families, be it business owners or purely financial family offices. How do you strike that balance between engendering internal debate and having a strategic vision where you are the leader? We talk about vote and voice with owners of private businesses, with family businesses. We would argue that if people don't feel like they have a voice, 
that's a first step towards conflict and a second step towards exit, if you will. And so I would argue that having a voice and having a clear process for how that voice is shared, how that voice is listened to, how that voice is respected or not, how the expectations are set is critically important. You know, you can say debate is important, but really understanding where people are allowed to have voices and where they're not is critical. You know, we work with some families where it's unclear what topics owners can have a voice on. And that drives perhaps more conflict than the topics that they know they can have a voice on, like voting for directors or whatnot. If there's ambiguity on the edges, that's where conflict emerges. Now, I often say that the owners of these private businesses are all great people. More often than not, when they end up in conflict, it's because they are set up structurally to be in conflict. There's, by definition, there's ambiguity, or by definition, they're competing for resources as they're structured. And so if you can resolve those structural issues that create conflict, then debate becomes less important and voice and conversation becomes more important as these owners try and seek alignment about where they want to go together. So let's kind of take the next step here and talk about roles and responsibilities. You've got a really nice breakdown in terms of being an owner, but the role itself and then the competencies that you have to go with. So let's start with maybe the role. Like, Why does it matter to have that role internal within the organization? Yes. So as I mentioned earlier, I come from a family of doctors. My father led a medical practice. And when I was growing up, I always assumed that the type of doctor he was was the same type of doctor everyone was. You know, he was a, a urologist. But as I grew more familiar with the business, I began to quickly to understand the difference between a family medicine doctor who typically works a regular schedule versus an ER doctor who may be on for 24 hours and then off for 48 hours versus a dermatologist or what have you. And so I quickly learned that there are different types of doctors. And if you look into it, you probably know that there are different types of lawyers, litigators, trust and estates, attorneys, corporate, et cetera, different types of bankers, investment bankers, private equity, retail bankers, et cetera. What's really fascinating is there's no differentiation in the type of owners. Everyone just assumes that if you say owner, everyone understands. It's kind of like strategy. It means everything and nothing. And In our work, we've found that if you're not clear about what type of owner you want to be, that's another example of how you can end up in structural conflict because one person might expect you to behave one way, one person might expect you to behave another way. So with that as context, why is ownership important? Because it's important to set expectations and be clear how people can engage. The types of owners that we talk about, in case it's helpful, you almost imagine a grid and it starts with passive owners. Passive owners invest their capital. You get their money and then you can do with it what you want. The next level down, we say, are stewards. Stewards invest their capital in their heart. They actually care about it. They pay attention to it. Then you move down into investors. Investors invest. In addition, they invest their analysis, their intellect. They care about, they think about, they provide input. Moving on, you have governors adding everything else that the previous owners invest, and they also invest their time. You know, they participate in the board or on an owner's council or what have you. And then you have operators who invest everything above and then their career. And so you can see there are different types of owners. And if you don't articulate 
which one you're going to play. If you've got an operator expecting another owner to behave like an operator, they're going to be structurally in conflict. You're not pulling your weight, right? If you've got an operator who knows that they have a passive owner, that's okay. But as long as you set those expectations between the types of owners, then you'll be in a much better place. And you'll be able to have that, whether it's debate or vote or voice conversation we were just talking about. And it seems like, in my experience, this really comes down to super clear communication, good systems and processes for ongoing communication, and setting expectations on the front end is really important. And that's, I think, where people really struggle, right? Yeah. Yeah. And if you come back around, we were talking about effective owners and the 10 competencies of effective owners. By definition, you would expect those competencies to be over-indexed in one direction or the other when you start thinking about the roles that your owners will play. If you have all operators, you know, you might think about a partnership and people engage in sort of a partnership way. If you think about operators and governors and passive people, then you may need different sets of governance in place and different information flows. But only once you've articulated these roles, can you begin to define better what are, you know, what is an effective owner? Can you begin to define what kind of governance do we actually need? Can you begin to define and set expectations around what information should we get and why? You know, I was working with one family where they would send out a board book that was this thick, right? You can probably imagine that's an operator board book. But if you've got passive owners who aren't deep into the business, they're going to look at this and say, I don't know what to do with this, right? But if you can articulate those difference in roles, that that book that's this thick, you know, a couple inches thick, quickly be- comes down to like a page or two. And then you say, this is what I need to communicate with them about, because this is the type of owner role that they're going to play. And this is the governance and the areas where they're going to have voice and vote. Exceptional family offices, family enterprises, wealth management, and financial services organizations require superior leadership to successfully thrive in today's competitive environment. Building a team of talented leaders is a complex challenge that is best accomplished in partnership with a firm that offers a proven track record of success which is why I'd like to introduce you to our new sponsor, Mac International. Mac International is recognized as the premier boutique firm that specializes in providing retained executive search and strategic human capital consulting solutions to single and multi-client family offices, family enterprises, and the full spectrum of wealth management advisory, investment management, and financial services firms that serve ultra-high net private investors and family offices on a national and international basis. If you're interested in learning more about Mac International, visit their website at macinternational.com. And I know from kind of a, a little bit of a background in the venture community, there's a saying that, you know, some people are founders and not CEOs. What are your thoughts about transitioning roles within a firm, right? Where somebody goes from being a passive owner to an operator or vice versa, especially in this era and this climate that we're experiencing today, which is a huge amount of generational transition occurring within a lot of family businesses. Yeah, you know, we actually see more of the opposite, Right. We see more inertia, which is you know, my aunt and uncle were operators, so I've got to be an operator or else I look like a failure. Right. Or my parents were passive. And so who am I to chin and ask questions and 
poke the proverbial bear um, and ask questions that weren't asked in the past. My argument would be if you have the language, right, if you understand the different types of rules and what it takes to be effective, those are great ways to start these conversations and not let inertia, not let the momentum that you're in dictate what would otherwise be a suboptimal outcome, right? If you can begin to have these conversations and talk about the different roles that you might want to play, chances are it's a better way to harness the talents, the capital, the passion, the energy of what almost always is a larger group of owners as you pass through generations. So transitions are great. Transitions enabled through this conversation and through these languages, probably really important to the long-term sustainability of the business or the collective assets that these owners control. It's interesting that what your response was just the inertia, because sometimes it can have its own energy. And do, do you think that's because of just comfort with status quo or fear of change? Why is that? In many cases, it's the only thing that owners know. Being an owner of a private business, and in particular a large private business, can be a lonely place. You don't necessarily have a peer group. And so who do you talk to to get information about how other people do it? In many ways, that's taboo topic unless you're in part of a forum or a small group and organized activity. And so finding space to understand how people approach it differently is is one way to break the inertia. Another reason why I would say inertia exists. We talk about this idea of the gap, the generational gap. You know, the senior generation wants the next generation to step up, wants them to try new things, but doesn't want to push them into a future or a passion that isn't what the next generation desires. And so they speak, but they don't push too far, right? And on the other hand, you've got a next generation who, out of deep respect for the senior generation, has a ton of questions, is super engaged in the business, but doesn't want to step on the toes of the senior generation. And so you've got this communication gap that happens where people with the best of intentions aren't talking about these topics because they're worried about unduly influencing or seeming ungrateful. And so finding ways to create that conversation is really important to, to address that inertia. Yeah, you referenced something that I've become a big proponent of, which is peer-to-peer safe harbor networking opportunities. So I'm a member of YPO, but you can look across kind of YPO, EO, Tiger 21, some great family office networking and communities that exist. I think it's really important if you want to grow and develop to find maybe not one, probably two or, or three, maybe different venues where you can be challenged. And then you can also share in a vulnerable in a vulnerable way. Because to your point, even if the organization is large, you probably feel really lonely on an island a lot of the time if you're you know, a large decision maker within these larger enterprises. I think that's right. You know, we, we talk about this idea of a sequel fallacy. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But if you don't have context, if you don't have a wider aperture that these types of groups, YPO, EO, forge, what, what have you provide, then you're going to repeat the past because that's what you know and that's what worked. But all too often when people make that decision, they fail to appreciate how the context has changed, whether it's a bigger business or a different market. 
or a larger group of owners or different family relations. And so getting that perspective is just so important and finding ways to do so in a, in a non-threatening environment where people are learning, you know, coming back to the beginning, the best owners are learners, where people are learning from others is, is a great way to expand your horizons and, and understand that, in fact, there are different ways that may or may not work, but there are different ways that are worth knowing about. And one of the reasons that firms like yours exist, right? There's a, there's a role for third-party consultants, independent board members, and people outside the organization to come in and play that role that maybe somebody in the organization family doesn't want to play. Be the truth speaker, wear the black hat, whatever cliche you want to throw at it. But there's a lot of power there, especially I think the longer I'm doing this, like I think the project-based hired gun, knowing that they're coming in for only a, a period of time that they will not stay there forever. I think you can really play the role of a change agent for a lot of people and other groups can project onto you what they want themselves to see happen, but they don't feel empowered or comfortable doing it necessarily themselves. Yeah, I think that that's exactly right. Being able to come in with an unvarnished, unbiased view and say, this is what we see. We're not an advocate for one, two, three, anyone in the system, but this is how we see it. What do you want to do? How do you want to change course or stay the course given what you have? I will say that we can be a change agent, but I also think the most powerful change agent, coming back to our conversation a second ago, is peers. Right? And so we can tell families the seven different ways to approach a question and how other families did it. But the power of connecting two families and having them learn from each other is just, it's incredible to see. And it, I think that's a true change agent in, in this case. And does that go towards how you can help build these competencies? I think this process is identifying them, right? Because if you're a business owner or you're deep in the trenches on the day-to-day of the business, you probably have some of them unconsciously, mm-hmm. but to have somebody come in and call them out, but then also to point out your deficiencies or where you might have some blind spots, is that typically the process you use in terms of helping folks build through and make sure that they have all the necessary competencies? Yeah. Short answer, the process is as, if not more important, as the outcome. The longer answer in this case is the owners have to go through it themselves. They have to decide what competencies are most important to them. They have to define them in more detail than just history and legacy or corporate finance or estate planning. They need to know what they mean when they say it. And then they need to go through the process to figure out, well, how are we going to develop these things? You know, is it we're going to send people to an exec ed course to learn this? Or is it we're actually going to use our business resources to teach the next generation or some group about corporate finance? What is it? The typical process is, you know, assess what's important, how they define effective ownership, given how they define their owner roles, talk about where they are. And then run a process to help them think through what are the resources we have or that we can marshal to help build this over time. More often than not, these end up being programs that exist over time as opposed to like a one and done, in large part because as families go evolve throughout history, they need to re-up and re-evolve the program and they need to think about how it works for a new generation or a new cohort of owners. But coming back to the beginning, they've got to own it. Owners need to own it. Owners need to define the process. 
Otherwise, we could give them a list of competencies and a definition of them and a process to do it. And chances are it'll sit on a shelf. It'll collect some dusts. It may turn into fire kindling in the future if they don't have enough of enough skin in the game. If you will. And is there ever a place in an organization's development where they transition out of ownership mentality into a, a board mentality or, and does it go the other way, I guess, if there needs to be a change? Yeah. I, you know, what we would say is owners need to be thoughtful about where they play owner board management and what roles they play. And they need to evolve their structures and their information flows accordingly. It could be that you have a family that is all passive owners, right? Or all just stewards. That requires an owner room that gets plenty of information and a strong board over which the owners provide oversight. You know, if you have family members in different levels of that owner strategy that we talked about, that necessitates a different type of governance. What you can't control is what people are passionate about, Brian, but what you can control is what you expect of them, how you structure the information flows, and how you structure the governance and decision-making accordingly. And so you can go up, you can go down. What we would argue is if you're missing a level of that strategy, that's where owners can get in trouble. Or if you don't have a coherent approach to addressing each level of strategy, that's where you get in trouble. Last thing I'll say is more often than not, perhaps surprisingly, the missing level that we see is the owner level. It's not the board level. It's not the management level. And that's because public companies and and education curriculum focus on how do you be a great manager? How do you be, be a great board member? What no one really tells you is you can hire great managers and you can hire great directors. Can't really hire owners, right? And you can't really hire family members. And so one thing we would argue is focus on developing as owners and focus on developing as family members because those are the places that are irreplaceable. I'm curious, what are you hearing from your clients right now? What's top of mind? What's on the front burner? What are the big challenges that people are wrestling with? You know, coming out of COVID, this may not be surprising, but across our client base, we're seeing much more of a focus on relationships. You know, there's always the technical work, the strategic work, owner strategy, estate planning, corporate governance, what have you, or the policy work, family employment policy, if you will. But we're seeing a lot of our families or a lot of the families that we work with trying to rediscover their relationships, trying to rebuild that trust that perhaps wasn't lost in the Zoom world of COVID, right? But it certainly isn't as strong as it used to be. There's just a different type of relationship when you spend time and you can see the whites of people's eyes and shake their hands. So a lot of our families are really focused on how do we rebuild those connections that we had in a way that doesn't seem manufactured and in a way that enables us to continue to do the important work of an owner of a privately held business. What's your favorite part about the business? The people. That's easy. Uh, the people that we work with at Banyan are some of the most thoughtful, caring, smart people I've ever worked with. The, the owners and the families that we work with, they're just incredible people doing great things, working on really hard problems, contributing to the communities within which they work. I mean, this is a really special place to be. I feel super lucky 
to be invited into those rooms with the families and with the owners to hear their stories and to be able to help them in ways that have such a long-lasting impact, or at least we hope they have that long-lasting impact. Yeah. Well, I know you all do great work, and I want to thank you for coming on. It's been terrific. If people are interested in learning more about the work that you do, the firm does, what's the best way for them to find out more? Yeah, feel free to give us uh, a call. Our numbers, our emails are on our website, banyan, B-A-N-Y-A-N dot global. And if you're interested to learn, but don't feel like talking to a person behind me up here, we, two of our partners wrote the Harvard Business Review Family Business Handbook, which is a fun resource and meant to be a standalone resource that people can use and try on their own. Yeah, I've, I've checked out the book. It's really good. So I definitely will definitely encourage people to, to go take a spin through that. And for our listeners, thank you for joining us. And please let us know your favorite part of the conversation. Leave us a rating and a review. Nick, a question we ask people to come on the show. Do you have a daily practice that helps bring peace to your life? I do. I don't drink caffeine because it makes me shake. But I get up and I run or I, I ride the bike every morning. It's a way to clear my head. It's a way to get going. It's a way to start the day on a positive note. That's my, that's my daily practice. Great. Thank you for sharing and thank you for all the work that you do. It's great. And I look forward to, to staying in touch. Thanks, Brian. This was great. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation on the Capital Club podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, rate, and leave us a review. And please follow us on your favorite streaming platform so you never miss an episode. 